This looks good. We're rolling. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, first of all, thank you for all the people who are watching and listening. Appreciate you joining us and tuning in. Always trying to bring information that will be helpful and uh, we can all learn something. And so today I have a friend of mine back again for a second interview. He is uh, somebody whose work I've admired for a long time now. And, um, well, I'll just introduce him right now. His name is Dr. Luigi Bocuto. And thank you, Luigi, for being with me again today. Thank you, Carl. It's always a pleasure. And thank you to the, all the people uh, listening. Uh, I, you're too kind with your words. Um, uh, I always uh, enjoy the opportunity of uh, uh, communicating uh, and uh, sharing uh, not just my word, my work, but uh, um, also you know thoughts, considerations. You know, I think that science must serve a purpose, and part of that purpose is absolutely. And I, I, I'm bringing something up here for people to take a look at. Um, I've listened to this. I don't know how many times. Quite a few. I really enjoy this TED talk you did. Yeah, uh, thank you. Personalized medicine. So, yeah. folks, get on and check out Luigi Bacuto on uh, TED Talks. Just go to YouTube, and um, that's really it's short and sweet. You know, it's like nine or ten minutes, and love it. Thank you. It. So, well, we were talking before we got the camera rolling here. We were talking a little bit about well, we're it's so right now. It's uh, oh, it's my son's birthday today. It's April fourteenth. Oh, not too far from you. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's an emergency room doctor at Emory and uh, just starting his third year residency soon. But anyways, he's seeing some COVID coming in there and we're in the midst of this COVID calamity, if you will, and this situation which is uh, so unprecedented. And you mentioned to me you've been doing some work in that area. Um, would you mind yes. sharing what it is you're doing in regards yes. to COVID? Yes, so um, even if uh, COVID is not primarily a genetic disorder, and, and I'm a medical geneticist by, by formation, um, I think that uh, uh, this is uh, something so big and unprecedented, as you said, that uh, probably uh, every member of the scientific community um, should feel kind of involved because this has literally paralyzed any uh, social activity, but uh, in many cases also any work activity uh, all around the, the globe. So I have been involved uh, uh, first in some uh, groups with uh, some colleagues uh, uh, and professionals all over the world. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, when, when you put people together, um, ideas may stem up and may uh, develop uh, into uh, projects. So um i've been very very grateful to, for uh, being involved in in some of these projects and i gave my contribution uh, about uh, uh, providing uh, analysis providing point of view providing uh, new ways to interpret the, the numbers that have been generated in this uh, in these months in these weeks really so uh, some of these projects uh, were focused on uh, interpreting some uh, uh, epidemiological trends. Uh, we just got a paper published uh, a few days ago about uh, uh, trends in Italy um, up to the end of March. Um, and um, as you and uh, uh, many people um, listening to this probably know, Italy has been uh, um, hit, you know, particularly bad, especially 
for the uh, countries in Europe. Um, the pandemic started there uh, towards the end of February, and uh, the numbers started to increase um, dramatically. Uh, now um, it looks like the trends are slowing down, and so in this paper we actually were able to analyze these very first signs of the inversion of the trend and uh, interpreting uh, the mechanisms that might have led to that uh, decrease in the uh, in the in the spreading of the the contagion. Um, other works have been focused on uh, uh, procedures uh, that involve autopsies or, in general, any sort of uh, interventions on, on the body of people with uh, uh, infections uh, by coronavirus. And uh, other projects have been involved in looking at early signs um, and with the intention of uh, identifying either um, people with uh, apparently no symptoms. Uh, or that are about to develop uh, some symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I think that this is something that has been uh, discussed and presented in other, in, in other occasions, so I'm not scooping too much, mm -hmm. but uh, um, one of the early signs is the loss or reduction of the sense of smell and taste. It's been discussed uh, thoroughly and uh, this is something that either is overlooked so some patients do have it but they don't pay attention they don't realize that this is happening and they might be classified as asymptomatic so showing no symptoms because especially in the very early stages of this this disease of this pandemic um, we were expecting uh, almost always a very severe presentation so having patients that were just showing a, a light, mild cold and this sense of loss of smelling um, didn't really feel uh, like those patients could be considered symptomatic. Sure. But in fact, this has a, a very, very dramatic impact on the spreading of the disease because the estimate is that about 70 to 80% of people that do have the virus, so they did get infected, actually showing no symptoms or very little symptoms so this is important for the mechanisms of spreading the virus so yeah. the better we know about these people the, the better instruments we have to identify these people the more chances we have to limit the spreading of the contagion so i, I know that uh, the, the world health organization uh, in, the, in an ideal scenario recommends to perform the tests on everybody because yeah. That's the only way, you know, to give you a precise idea of the status of the, the contagion of the virus. And in some areas, this is possible. Unfortunately, in some areas, this became possible because of the large number of cases. Let's think about the New York area in this moment. Yeah. Areas that are social or logistic or financial issues that don't make this very feasible. So. I know it seems like a large look, but uh, you know, if, you, if we think in terms of personalized medicine that you were mentioning before, personalized medicine can only uh, occur if you are in the position of collecting as many information as possible about the individual. So this is a new scenario. This is completely unprecedented and in some way destabilizing for the way we perceive the healthcare system. 
And uh, so being tested, uh, even if asymptomatic, being tested, even if uh, feeling normal, uh, it's, it's the new normal because really, if we don't identify the people that are carrying the virus, especially among the healthcare personnel, uh, we really are um, limiting our impact on the healthcare that we can provide and the help that we can provide to these people. The incubation time of this virus spreads from two to 14 days with an average of about five to six days. That means that people can get in contact and carry the virus uh, for a week or two before even showing symptoms, or they might never show symptoms. So imagine how many people you know, get in contact with each other in, in closed spaces and uh, they will spread the disease. Right. You know, everything yeah. is depending on the capacity of uh, intervening really early. So we need to know who has the virus to monitor that person and to intervene on the symptoms very early. Because at the moment, there is no specific therapy for the, this particular virus, the SARS-CoV-2, which is the denomination of this particular strain of the coronavirus, which is a member of the coronavirus family. So all the therapies that we have are quite generic therapies that work on antiviral drugs and work on anti-inflammatory drugs, because there is a first stage of the disease that depends on the infection or the spreading of the virus inside our body. And then there is a second stage whose symptoms depend primarily on the spreading of the inflammation. So okay. most of the damage, especially in the more severe cases, most if not all the damage is actually caused by our own immune system. There has been report, reported what is called a cytokine storm. So there is this massive inflammatory reaction that uh, involves actually many districts. And this is another uh, field of interest in the research on COVID-19 that this is spreading. It's not just the lungs. The lungs are uh, involved very severely. We know that there is this interstitial pneumonia, but uh, there are signs uh, that make us believe, there are proofs actually, it's not a matter of belief, um, that other districts are involved very severely as well. Wow. Jeez, that's, um, I'm trying to wrap my mind around that right now. So it seems really com complicated, actually. You yes. know, and the, one of the things that crossed my mind, and I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, I'll try not to, but one of the first things I think of in my line of work, given the population I generally work with is, uh, you know, Parkinson's and other movement disorders, is that sense of smell is often diminished there too. Mm -hmm. But usually by the time I see them, it's been a while and they already have a diagnosis. So sense of smell could have been years before. But uh, so loss of sense of smell may not mean COVID, yet it's something new that it could mean that it didn't used to mean, right? Yes, yes. And uh, I, this is my personal opinion now, but I think that uh, many of us are no longer really accustomed to rely on the sense of smell. I mean, how many people go through the daily routine without really, you know, smelling the roses, you know, like slow down yeah. and get, you know, in contact with the, the sensory stimulation, you know. 
uh, of, of smelling. I mean, yeah, sometimes you smell a nice cup of coffee, but you know, most of the times, let's be honest, we just drink the coffee and go on with our routine. And and there might be, you know, smog pollution. So really you don't smell flowers or any natural odors and things. So we've been, uh, uh, you know, evolutionarily, we've been uh, losing gradually our sense of smell because it's no longer functional. It It doesn't add that much advantage to our, you know, quality of life. So I understand that in many cases, <clears throat> sorry, in many cases, reduction or loss of the sense of smell doesn't really impact our life to the point that uh, we pick up the phone and we call the doctor and say, hey, listen, doc, I mean, I'm not smelling things very well. But in fact, the thing is that the sense of smelling is involved with uh, the way we taste our food more than we think. So yeah, right, the, right. What, what we consider the, the sense of taste is, you know, for what we have in our uh, buckle apparatus, you know, the tongue, you know, uh, we have, it's very limited to very basic uh, stimulation, to very basic flavors. But the, the whole um, palette of flavors that make the complex sensation of, of how food tastes depends a lot on our smelling. So... It's really the symptom that many people report that uh, uh, in the midst of being sick, of having high temperature, you know, and everything else, they said the food tasted like nothing. You know, I couldn't enjoy, you know, eating something because I couldn't really taste it. But it's more depending on your nose than on your tongue. It's just that we don't know. Yeah, yeah. So let's say um, somebody does notice a uh, uh, loss of sense of smell quickly is there is there a difference between let's say a uh, loss of sense of smell and covid as a symptom compared to let's say alzheimer's or parkinson's where it, would that be a diminished sense of smell over a longer period of time versus covid yes yes you, okay. you're right. the, the most uh, important difference is that the sense of smell in alzheimer parkinson is more in the long term. Okay. So, um, in, in some way, in in COVID, is more abrupt, especially because it's often followed uh, by you know high high fever, by dry cough, you know all the other symptoms that uh, that are typical of this this infection. Uh, and generally, it, it resolves once the uh, the infection is over. So uh, there is this this chronological difference. Uh, but uh, uh, I don't know uh, if in terms of the type of smell, like if you, if you lose the sensation for uh, certain smells, but you retain for others, I don't know that in, if there is uh, an important difference between the, the loss in Parkinson and Alzheimer and the loss in COVID. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, my wife and I, when we walk around here and... <laughs> We sort of, we joke around a little bit about it, but the other day I was sauteing some onions hmm. downstairs and she's from upstairs saying, I smell onions, that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, because yeah, it's actually one of my favorite smells. I love sauteing onions and garlic and peppers and uh, we can still smell it. So. You realize that your body works, right? Yeah, right. Right, so this is interesting. So, um, 
what is there anything more more you want to say about the COVID just to share with viewers because uh yes i know there seems to be and i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there seems to be a lot of uh obviously a lot of unknown right now of course but fear in, in some cases a lot of fear um okay yeah go ahead i just yes i know i know that i'm probably i'm probably restating the obvious but uh, i want to stress the fact that uh, just because we don't have a vaccine we don't have a specific treatment protocol uh, I want to reinforce the concept of uh, maintaining social distance. Uh, that is right now the only uh, certain strategy that we have and that is proved to be effective against this pandemic. We have uh, uh, very good examples coming from countries like Japan or South Korea that were hit early and were able to manage a very strict uh, series of countermeasures promoting uh, social distancing uh, or social isolation and, and um, was successful in uh, in promoting that and uh, people were very diligent in observing those those rules those recommendations yeah and now they're virtually out of the curve of the, the spreading of the virus uh, but i like also to mention the example from from italy because i think that uh, there's a lot to learn there also from the from the mistakes you know there is a virtuous example and there is you know not so virtuous example but um before we started recording we were discussing about the differences between the spreading of the virus in the north of italy in certain yeah. regions Lombardy, for example where the city of milan is right in the south so uh, obviously uh, the, the the main areas that get involved early are the ones in the north and so the italian government um took some decisions about isolating certain provinces there. There uh -huh. in provinces that were declared red areas. So um, basically, they uh, uh, declared that you know they were locked down, so people were not allowed to go around or travel and everything. There was something uh, without entering the political field, which is always very delicate, but <laughs> was something that, that went really bad because the news of that government decreed leaked and uh, even the cnn announced that that decision that decreed uh, a couple of hours before the official announcement oh so, so it leaked really bad not uh -huh. just internally in italy but you know all, uh -huh. over, all over the world and uh, and as a consequence a lot of people fled out of that area so those 16 provinces oh. and in, in many cases because in italy uh, we have, um, you know, a lot of south to north migration. So we have, you know, young generations, but also old generations that have moved to the north, you know, looking for jobs, for, you know, university, education and things. And so a lot of the, these people in the night just took the train, took whatever they had and went south. So they really escaped this lockdown in this, in this 16 provinces. And it is, this is bad. But sometimes, you know, you can get something good out of something bad, you know, mm -hmm. about silver lining. <laughs> in front of this, you know, failure in containing the virus in these 16 provinces, a couple of days later, the Italian government took the decision of declaring the whole country a red zone. So they expanded the lockdown measures to all the regions. That made uh, a, a huge difference in the uh, 
epidemiological dynamics of the, the spreading of the virus. Because the lockdown that interested the, the southern region occurred much earlier as compared to the first cases than in the northern regions. Okay. That is critical because the, the government, like in many other countries, without saying names because again, we stay out of <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> but uh, deciding you know, to have a complete lockdown, shut down a lot of economical activities, it's very delicate. You know, it has a lot of impact on a lot of families and everything. Sure. So the government didn't take the decision very early in the northern areas because, incidentally, the northern areas are the most important in terms of productivity, economics, financing, and so on. And so there was a certain time between the first cases and the lockdown. So the numbers started to spread here and start to increase. But due to that escape, due to the leak of news and uh, the, those people traveling south, the lockdown in the southern regions occurred relatively earlier as compared to the north from the, the first cases. So. Okay. To give you example numbers also for the listeners, you know, in, in Lombardy, they already had passed 1,000 cases when they went put on, long, on lockdown, while in the southern regions, they had only like 10 or, 12, uh, 10 or 12 cases, and they were already put on lockdown. So that is one of the reasons why the numbers stayed low in the south. Okay. Because the measures were taken, you know, uh, more, uh, uh, you know, they were just taken earlier. Earlier, relative to the uh, first cases, you're saying, yeah. And so your family I, is from, your family's in the south of Italy, right? South, yes, yes. And you said, off camera, you said they're okay, so I'm very glad to hear about that. Yes, yes. Yeah. So this is just to give an example of how important it is and how impactful it is to stay home and observe social distancing. Like I said, we can learn from mistakes and we can learn, you know, from virtuous examples. But we do know that this strategy is effective. I know it, it affects economy really badly, especially for people that have small activities, you know, they have to uh, basically give up their, their, their income by, by shutting down their activity. But uh, it is the only weapon we have in, in this war against COVID-19. Really, uh, it's just really interesting. It's... Uh, you know, it's. In, I have uh, a lot of thoughts about it. First of all, I wish it never happened in some ways because who needs COVID, right? We don't want to have that. Uh, but when we're dealt, dealt something that's, uh, you know, out of our control, let's say at least initially, um, there are a couple of different ways to respond. You know, you can be negative or you can try to look at all the upshots from things. Um, one thing I noticed that even though I'm, you know, I'm not working at the university, so there's no money and, you know, I'll get by, I'm going to get through it. I'm not terribly worried, but at the same time, uh, I've, I've, I have slowed down. So, and I had, I had already slowed down last year because of the health issues I had when I arrived in Singapore. Yeah. And I was grounded in your leg. Blood clots, a huge, huge DVT in the left leg. But anyway, besides, I'm fine, right? Had a hip replacement four months ago. I'm doing great. I'm really lucky. But I needed to slow down even more. So there has been a shift in my perspective of things, too. Um, and I, 
I've noticed something because I've lived here 27 years in this house. So out there is a river and along the river <laughs> is a trail miles and miles and miles. I don't know how many miles, 20, 30 miles, you know, 50 kilometers worth of trails. And I'll go out and I'll ride for all these years. My bicycle used to run. I don't run anymore because of the hip. But anyways, ride. I'm seeing more people out and moving. They have masks on and they're usually, you know, a couple together or a family masked up pretty well, but I've never seen so many people out and moving about, and that's kind of a nice thing to see. And I don't know about down in South Carolina or in Italy, but right now it seems like people are a little friendlier here. <laughs> I think this is a, a, a humbling experience. Yeah. Um, I know we're, we're probably, you know, living the, the scientific conversation when we're talking about uh, uh, social or you know even philosophical conversation but I hope your listeners won't mind oh um, no they're, they're gonna love both yeah okay. they love it I think that uh, um, this has uh, made us reconsider our perception of, uh, of time uh-huh. we, we consider time as an instrument in our hands you know I have time to do this or I don't have time to do this so it's something that we use to, to do things but really, you know, um, we're just uh, emerging the stream of time. We, we can control time. And uh, in this case, time has been really stripped out of our hands in two ways. One, uh, we have this uh, uh, abrupt, unexpected uh, condition that uh, may unfortunately uh, put, you know, some of us in, in ICU, you know, uh, struggling for our own lives. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an invisible enemy that we really, you know, can really take you down. And, uh, and that is, of course, terrifying, you know, very destabilizing for our ideas of, of controlling our life. And in the other way, time has been uh, um, stretched out, ex- ex- expanded. You know, we, we have so much time in our hands without anything to do. And uh, uh, really, we are reconsidering, you know, the 24 hours. Because we're so, uh, you know, involved, uh, sometimes even submerged by our work duties. And, uh, you know, we, we ran a very tight schedule every day. And now we realize how many things, how many other things we can do instead of, of just working or mm-hmm. on top of working. You know, I know, a lot of, I know that a lot of people, including myself, are working from home. And this is a completely different dynamic because, you know, you go to, to your office, you sit down, you start working, and then when time is over, you come back home. With working from home, you can have a, a more diverse experience. You can, you know, still work and do other things at the same time, you know, taking breaks, interacting with your family or, you know, uh, your backyard, a lot of things. So, and really think that for some people, this uh, has been... Uh, chance like you're saying you know if you want to look at the the, uh, the good side you know still considering that there are people dying out there and there are people yeah. Yeah. so let's not forget about this like you said who needs covid you know i wish that uh, we could could be given the chance to to make some this same consideration the same change in our ways to see our own lives without struggling with the deadly disease but yeah uh, for some people, this has been a chance of of putting their life on hold, like their, their old life. In some cases, even hit the reset button. 
like saying, well, if I if I look at things, I really don't like the the way you know my life is going. I really don't like the path I've been on because I realize that my body is showing uh, signs of insufferance. My health has been, you know, showing signs of uh, um, intolerability. You know, I'm, I'm not happy with what I was doing. And now I have this reset situation and uh, I feel my body working better. I feel my mind being clear. Uh, you know, especially in the Western countries, the, the work pace is really causing a lot of stress. And if we consider night shifts, we consider work commutes, we consider, you know, all the types of sacrifices that uh, a lot, a lot of people make to adjust to their work life. So th this is the critical thing, adjust, because they put work effic efficiency because they are providers, they need to, you know, bring money at home. They put work on top of everything else, even time. Now, a lot of people are realizing that there is nothing on top of time because time is the most precious thing we have in our life. It's not up to us to control it. And it really opens the, the gates to a lot of things that are not just work. So I think, and I hope for many of us that this will be a unique opportunity. You know, sometimes we always say once in a lifetime. Well, I think this goes even beyond the lifetime. This is so unprecedented because one, I think that compared to other pandemics, this has been spreading way faster. Yeah. The world has become, you know, a much smaller place. A lot of people compare this with the, um, the, the, the Spanish flu that hit about, you know, 100 years ago. But sure. the Spanish flu hit over a time of two years. It took. Uh, people weren't doing international uh, commuting. Exactly. exactly. They, I mean, maybe, I don't know if anyone was then, were they? But they are now. So, yeah. But, so the, the, the flight, you know, the, the, the commercial flight, you know, system was not in no. place today. So, I don't even remember the first transatlantic Atlantic flight. might have been in the 20s, but, but still, right, yeah. over a two-year period it hit. Yes. Yeah. So, so this is something that hit everybody, you know, in such a, a short time that yeah. is unprecedented. Also, this is something that was um, of public knowledge in such unprecedented way mm. you know as yes. soon as china started uh, you know sharing uh, knowledge about this which was back in december 2019 um there was this first wave that interested few areas like the, the um, pacific states in the united states you know there were cases in seattle in the state of washington oregon california right it didn't spread like that but then coming february there was the second wave of spreading that really hit everybody and now yeah. something has been hit the northern hemisphere as well as the southern, the west, the east, everybody. So I think this is really unprecedented. So it's more than once in a lifetime. Yeah. It's probably once in you know dozens of generations. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's also a unique opportunity to uh, give a different look at things. Yes. Yes. I um Oh, you know, I'm still adjusting. And I think this adjustment may continue for quite some time for a lot of reasons. Well, two primary reasons I think of is as I move forward adjusting, 
keep thinking about what I was doing and maybe more figuring out how can I focus more so in what, uh, uh, what, what, what can I do that's going to be more effective, help more people or, you know, what, how, I didn't even know yet. I have ideas. I, I just know I need to get my book done, <laughs> which is happening. Uh, so close. I've never written a book, but the bottom line is, uh, I think this will be a, a long time as a friend of mine's uh, a friend I was talking to last week, his daughter, I think she's 11. She said, dad, you know, she's the greatest girl. I love her. Um, you know that we're living history right now. We're not just looking back and learning about history. This is history and it's huge. Says so how profound for 11 years old. And she's right. We're in it. We're in it deep and for the rest of our lives and how many hundreds of years are people going to look back? You know, I was, I was just joking. Of course, I agree with, with, the, with the little girl and what you're saying. I was just joking yesterday with a friend of mine and saying that uh, there, there will probably soon be an, another dating system other than BC and AC will be uh, before coronavirus and after coronavirus. Because uh, uh, so there'll be like a BC and then AC, BCO. So uh, uh, after Christ, but before Corona, yeah. and, uh, and and then after Corona. Now, yeah. just decide, and and I want to be, of course, disrespectful, um, but uh, I think that this has impacted the whole world in an unprecedented way. This has been impacted more countries than than uh, World War Two. Oh, you know, yeah. there are more countries involved, you know, in this that had to shut down their activities than the countries that did shut down their activities in World War II. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it's on a scale that I don't even know if we... I don't, we can't even measure it yet, can we? Because we don't have no. a long, long enough time span to collect data. I mean, we can start now, like you've done. But I wonder, you know, what's, what's it going to be like in six months, a year, two well, years? Yeah, because, first of all, we don't know when this is over. Mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of countries that are already thinking about restarting some activities. And I know, I mean, I'm no expert in economy, but I do understand that if you take, if you keep things shut down for too long, it'll be really hard to restart. You know, some people, they just will declare bankruptcy. You know, they just have to, sh to, to shut down their, their, their store forever. And of course, nobody wants that. Um, but we really don't know when we're going to be over. You know, the, the ultimate answer will be the vaccine, of course. And, uh, um, you know, even with good vaccines, you reach a coverage of like 70% of the population. Uh, and that, you know, that brings us to a completely different um, topic that will be, you know, herd immunity, will be isolating people at risk, you know, all these things. But at least it's the first line of defense. Yeah. But right. hold, not just for COVID-19, because by the time the vaccine will be available, which is likely, you know, the end of this year, the beginning of next year, but uh, it's reasonable to expect a, a second wave, a second strain, which is probably going to be COVID-20. You know, just like we have for the flu. You know, every year yeah. is a strain. Right. So we, we need to be prepared for that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned, for example, about uh, the southern hemisphere now that is going towards winter. And, uh, you know, winter means uh, a lot of other comorbidities from cold to flu to other sources of uh, respiratory infections that uh, will make things worse. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm not wishing for that. You know, I hope this uh -huh. is not happening, but, but you know, knowing the dynamics, 
of spreading, you know, the weather is a big, is a big factor. Wow. Yeah, you know, actually, I had wondered about that. So please uh, forgive me for not knowing this. I feel like I should know. I feel I thought one thing, but I was wrong. So do viruses tend to thrive more in cold weather or warm weather? Well, there are studies to show that the virus um, does not survive uh, outside because the, the, the key point is not how much it survives in us or how much it can be spread in, in a short proximity, you know, with another person, but how much it survives on objects and surfaces outside without interacting with human body. And um, it, it looks like the survival time is drastically decreased when the temperatures go above 26 Celsius degrees. Okay. So warm weather does not facilitate the spreading of the virus. That, that is what some studies seem to indicate. All right. However, of course, you know, if we're, if we're still talking, you know, within less than, than six feet, we can still spread, you know, just by sure. dropping. Particles, yes, okay. So okay. The, the point is uh, that it's not just that. It's not just about the virus. It's about what else is going on. Uh, the categories at risk, at higher risk, uh, involve uh, people with other cardiorespiratory conditions. So obviously the people with the cold or flu and complications of cold or flu are uh, you know, more uh, numerous in the winter. You, know, you tend to have these sort of seasonal uh, infections. So having a person that already has a bad case of flu or already has a cardiorespiratory problem and goes through the winter and then having that person exposed to the coronavirus clearly configurates a more severe clinical presentation. So it's not just about how much the virus spread, but it's also about how well we can take the infection by coronavirus. Yeah, I've, I've been, um, you know, for, uh, not, not to get off track again, I just, uh, I can relate to the, some of the fear out there of, uh, you know, having corona maybe because I've had a, a history in my life of upper respiratory issues and infections. Um, uh, there was a period where it was about two and a half years, a few years ago of chronic bronchitis. I was always, uh, it's like I was in nine rounds of biaxin, you know, the super powerful antibiotic that pretty much tore up everything inside. But that didn't, you know, I, after I finally got through that phase, um, I did get pneumonia twice. I'll tell you, it's just nothing to, nothing to mess with. So um, been real good now for just over two years. Real good. Okay. No respiratory issues, really working on being healthy. Um, you know, a tangent could be, but I won't do it, is uh, my, my dietary lifestyle, what causes me to, I think maybe, I don't know if inflammation or you know, certain things I have sensitivities to that cause mucus and all that other kinds of issues. But bottom line is, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I certainly don't want to get COVID and I also don't want to spread it. So it seems like social distance is the way to go. You know, it seems like the best way of control, like you say. I, I can tell you this, I, I have uh, been showing the symptoms and, and never got tested. So. I don't know if I did get it, but uh, uh, just to share my personal experience, um, 
I was flying back from Australia, and you know very well how long it could be those flights, and uh, and also how confined it could be for like fifteen or sixteen hours on the plane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I'm I'm sorry, I bring you back, I'm bringing back. Oh no, no, I'm memories. Okay. You know, but, <laughs> Actually, I'd love to go to Australia. You know, but, but uh, there you go. Uh, so I, I was there for for a, a, a conference for work reasons, and a couple of days since I got back, I, I got sick with what now I realize what are the symptoms matching what is described for, for coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had high fever, um, you know, with temperatures above uh, 101 uh, Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, very heavy cough, dry cough, but chest pain too, loss of smell and, and taste. Um, oh, so, you know, but I didn't get tested because back then the guidelines were to uh, wait, uh, for three, over three days with high fever before going to the ER. But nevertheless, the point is, uh, we now know that uh, the, the degrees of severity may change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is why we need to be uh, very much alert about uh, the presentations. Because it's not just about us. Like you said, it's, it's not just about the fear of getting it, but also the fear of spreading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being aware of uh, the people or the environments where we've been, you know, we might have been exposed or not to the virus, being aware of mild symptoms, of uh, mild discomforts that we might present, um, all of these things are really helpful for us and for the people near to us. Yeah. Yeah, you know, back in the beginning, um, it was it was hard to wrap my mind around the fact that social distancing, you know, two three months ago was was going to be probably going to be a thing here, and then it became a thing. I, I remember the day they shut down the university, um, or they announced it, and so it got announced. Then a few days later, they shut down, and everybody left, pretty much. Um, it was hard to believe that this would happen, but you know what? I see it now. Because, you know, it's all over the news. You see the numbers. The numbers are staggering. Staggering numbers of deaths, very sadly. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I don't know what to say about it other than learning from you is always, first of all, I really thank you for joining and, and being here and sharing about this. Um, um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Like I said, you know, both at the personal and professional level, I believe that sharing is very important, especially nowadays. We live in a world where, you know, a person from Singapore can share with a person in California. You know, yeah, isn't it great? And, yeah. uh, you know, sharing uh, is, is giving, you know, and in these cases, sharing is, is sometimes even saving lives. Knowing yeah. about, you know, early signs and knowing about something, some, some, manifestations some some features of the of the disease that was unknown may be critical for an early diagnosis and early treatment um, let's not forget that uh, uh, even if the uh, categories at high risk involve uh, people above 60 uh, everybody can get covid-19 everybody can get severe presentation and complications that might lead to hospitalization and icu uh, so um, I don't want to spread anxiety or panic, uh, uh, no, but uh, I want to spread a sense of responsibility. 
we are responsible for ourselves and for the people around us. This is very important. So uh, wearing masks, uh, washing our hands or wearing gloves when we go outside, really considering that you know, our house is a safe territory, but everything outside our doorstep is, is a, a dangerous territory. You know, something where you know, we don't know if there is a, a contagion risk because of people that have been passing by or infected surfaces, you know, um, it's, it's always something that we need to be aware. Not that we need to live in paranoia, but like you were saying before, this is not gonna stop with, with coronavirus. We have been given the chance to rethink our ways. We were talking before about uh, long travels, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that even when this is over, um, a lot of people will wear masks on long travel. I'm sure yeah. that we will be more aware about physical contact, about you know spreading germs, because coronavirus is not the only thing that is out there. And when you are yeah. sick for 15 or 16 hours in a confined environment with limited uh, air change, uh, you know there is a high chance of, of shedding germs. Yeah. And, uh, now we see that, unfortunately, in the worst case scenario, but that doesn't mean that once we, we will have the vaccine for COVID, for the SARS-CoV-2, we'll be immunized for everything else. Exactly, yeah. You know, what's interesting is I, uh, I had been wearing masks anyways. I bought a whole bunch of N95 masks a couple of years ago. And I didn't go through that many of them because um, I, I tended to wear them on the long, longer trips. So I was flying, you know, from here to Atlanta, it's, it's two hours and I didn't feel, you know, maybe I should have worn it. I don't know, but it seemed to be okay. Um, but I felt uh, I don't really need to have N95s laying around here. I sent them all down to my son and his wife who both work in emergency rooms in Atlanta because they need them. You know, I have one here and I have some other masks too, which are fine, but um, I had been wearing the mask because the, the, the <laughs> I have this tendency, Luigi, if you didn't notice, I'll go off track a little, but it's always with the intention of coming back, is the idea of being cooped up in a plane. You know, the trip to Singapore is just so long, you know, and then South America and then Dubai and all these places, and I just doesn't feel good breathing that air. You know, three or four hours is one thing, 15 hours is that's different yeah and it's so bad for me physically and i think probably for most people uh talking with a friend of mine in england yesterday who was he was traveling more than i was and he said you know i didn't realize the toll it had taken on my health without corona in the world and he says you know i'm reassessing everything because maybe i just won't fly nearly as much anymore i'll do more online education but uh I could see, I could see people. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. Um, I could see more people becoming, you know, wearing masks after the Corona too, just like you said. That's my long-winded way of agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, and this is, uh, you know, to, to circle back. This is part of that um, uh, reset process. You know, a lot of people will uh, really rethink what they gave for granted and what they were doing, you know, automatically as daily routine. And uh, not, not just because of Corona, like you were mentioning online education. This has been proven in many cases to be just as effective as, you know, uh, in-person lessons. So uh, I think that uh, 
still valuing a lot the human contact uh, and the social environment and the possibility of interacting on one-on-one. But I think that uh, this is a very feasible option for um, like PhD programs, graduate programs, where people are attending from all over the place. And rather than commuting, uh, they can just uh, attend over the internet, you know, over their, their own yeah. computer at home. Or the teachers can, can you know, present, you know. Mm-hmm. We know that um, a lot of people in academics um, have to travel, you know, for work, congresses and everything. So imagine, you know, being on the other side of the planet, but still being, being able to, to give, uh, you know, a class, to, to give a presentation. Yes. This is, this is important because it really uh, expands our uh, possibilities to, to do what, what we did before with more sacrifices, with more adjustments that, uh, like your friend said, you know, came with, with a heavy toll for our body. Yep, yep. Um, well, you know, we had discussed earlier about talking about another subject, mm-hmm. um, and I'd really like to, but I have an idea. Um, this, this, this has been a great, nice uh, COVID-19 conversation, and how do you feel if maybe we keep it at that for this, and we could do another, another separate one? Yeah, 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 with pleasure. So, it's always I, a pleasure to have a nice chat with you. Well, you too, and, and I really want to talk about the other subjects as well, but um, do you have... Uh, I didn't tell you I'd ask this because I we don't I don't ever script anything beforehand. Any takeaway message regarding what you just talked about with COVID? Um, well, if we want to summarize that in a few key points, I would say that uh, um, this is hitting everybody, but at the same time, everybody can do something. So each one of us could be a responsible individual and responsible citizen, and. Uh, um, follow the guidelines for social distancing. It's very important for ourselves and for the people uh, around us. Um, I think that uh, um, we want, we, we didn't mention this, but I think uh, uh, we should um, uh, really acknowledge the, the huge work of uh, um, people in healthcare right now all around the world. Yeah. Uh, they are really fighting uh, on, on the front line uh, this this battle and uh, most of them unfortunately are paying with their own lives uh, I think uh, this says a lot about the, the, the dedication the mission of, of these people and how valuable is the service that they're providing to the community so um, let's let's not forget this because many times we are probably too quick to uh, criticize the healthcare um, service that we receive or uh, the fact that uh, um, doctors or nurses uh, seem too busy you know or, or they don't dedicate us enough time um, we're, we're very you know quick to, to criticize them but let's not forget that they are providing a, a critical uh, service to, to everybody and right now they're out there saving lives and uh, you know risking their own so Yep. We, didn't, we didn't discuss this because probably we didn't want to be too um, dramatic, but I think we all need to take a moment and acknowledge and recognize that. You know, I really appreciate you saying that too. Um, I thought of that myself, and I'll just say it's because my son is ER doctor, his wife's nurse practitioner in a different hospital down the road, ER, 
you know, and they're just, their stress load level is like I've never seen. And, you know, residency is tough anyways, right? But this on top of that, it's like nothing they've ever seen or anyone has ever seen. So I, you know, um, that's actually given me, I feel really bad for them, actually. I feel horrible, and I, I pray for their safety and that they're okay. But not just them, everybody. Because there's so many. We have people here. Um, oh, and people from the south, too. I don't know if anybody in your area, but people from here, they went to New York City, nurses and people with doctors volunteering to help out because it's so bad. Now, that right there has to be commended as well. I mean, they're putting their lives on the line. And they're volunteering, so yes. And then I have one one last comment. Yes. Um, it's another thing that we didn't discuss, but I think uh, it, it's worth of consideration. Um, the situation is bad enough. We don't need to uh, give uh, any credit to a lot of uh, fake news or uh, uh, word um, plot theories, uh, uh, you know, for sabotaging, you know, this country rather than another. Um, I don't want to be too technical, but uh, uh, let's just stick to the facts. Uh, this is a, a terrible pandemic hitting everybody. Um, but the fact that uh, there have been warnings before from the scientific community doesn't mean that people planned this. It actually means that we need to listen more research, you know, because they've been warning us about this and other similar scenarios, you know, like the, the problems related to the abuse of antibiotics that might eventually select a super strain of bacteria. Mm. This is too long, let's not go there. Um, but the, the problem is that we were not prepared and uh, uh, we've been warned before uh, many times uh, and unfortunately, um, there were no decisions uh, taken to adjust to a scenario like this. It, it looked too much like uh, uh, sci-fi uh, to, to really uh, pose a significant threat. Well, now we're living this. And yeah, we're living it. No matter where it started, right? We're, we're yeah, in it. Yeah. Exactly. And so if among the several other lessons, uh, let's try to learn a lesson about uh, trusting a little bit more the people that are working on this and they're saying, uh, guys, we might be facing something like this. So let's get ready. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's really good, uh, great words of wisdom. And I, you know, you I always learn a lot from you, but in addition to that, my perspective shifts a lot of times when I talk with people um, and, and you, when you said, uh, you know, you hear stay home, stay home, social distance, keep your distance, wear a mask, that's all fine, but take responsibility. You saying that, it just ties it in for me even more so to make, uh, make me realize how important it is because, you know, it's funny, my wife and I were just talking yesterday, my son has four days off somewhere near the end of May, so I wonder if we can go and but wait a minute, it's only a few weeks away. No, just, it's not gonna happen because even if we did go, if we came back, would, would we be proud to say what we did and where we went when we get back? No, so you can't do that. So it's not gonna happen. 
the thought is a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, yeah, let's go, because that's what we would do in the pre previous yeah. yeah, not now, though. So responsibility. I've, I've been uh, uh, living the same uh, experience, you know, thinking about uh, my mother and the rest of my family. Of course, the first uh, impulse is to jump on the plane and, and go there, you know, be, be with them, you know, helping them, you know, to go out and buy grocery and, you know, just, just be of, of any support, of any help. But then the thing is like, no, this is not the wise behavior, you know. Right. Uh, everybody should stay home and, uh, you know, everybody should try to manage with what they have. And really, um, we didn't really explain why social distancing is so important. And I don't know if we have time for that. Oh, I, I, I have another 40, 59 minutes left. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can go on and on. I always enjoy, you know, talking, but no, we don't have a time limit for the next hour. I have a one o'clock appointment. That's all. Okay. But uh, the thing is that the, the main concept in a few words is what they say, flattening the curve. Yep. It's not just about spreading the, the contagion of the virus because you don't want to get sick, but it's because, you know, of all the people that get the virus, uh, 10-15% might require hospitalization and, the, and a smaller percentage of that might require ICU. Mm -hmm. So there is only a limited number of beds in the ICU units, you know, all around the world. Let's talk about countries, let's talk about states, let's talk about counties, but, you know, if you live in a county where you have two major hospitals and uh, they have uh, 50 ICU beds each, mm -hmm. and uh, you are not observing social distancing, you might have every day 100 new cases in that county. Mm -hmm. And so just, just you know, for, for sake of the numbers, you know, just to uh, use the, the, the same model. So let's say that 10 of that 100 cases will require ICU. So every day you have 10 new cases that will get into ICU. But you have 50 beds in one hospital, 50 beds in another. So in 10 days, you have saturated the capacity of those hospitals in the county to provide services. It's not like they don't want to, but you know, once the beds are full, and that most of the times you can't manage you know, a person in ICU in, in a few days, if you're able to keep them alive, uh, you know, it might take more than that. So what's gonna happen next? People cannot be treated properly. Right. So by flattening the curve, you really give a powerful instrument to our doctors, nurses, you know, and other healthcare professionals to give you the better services, to sure. give you what you need to stay alive. Because once you've saturated the hospitals, what are you gonna do? I mean, you, you don't have a ventilator at home, and so people will not be treated properly, and unfortunately, they will die. So yeah. this, is, this is the ultimate you know, effect of staying home, uh, of flattening the curve. If you have, you know, instead of 10 cases per day, 10 new cases per day, if you have, uh, sorry, 100 new cases per day, you have 10 cases per day. And then of those 10, 10%, so one case ends up in ICU, then you're gonna need a hundred days to fill up those hundred beds of ICU from those two hospitals. Right. Mm -hmm. hundred days in the meanwhile, you know, the patient hospitalized on day one might be treated, so might be able to go home. So you, you free up, you know, other beds so they can handle the emergency much better. Right. 
That makes sense. That that actually that puts a lot in perspective into perspective about what's happening in various cities around the country and various hospitals. Exactly. They're, and then and, and they're building hospitals and stadiums and things now. So it's yeah, just unprecedented as they say. It's it's the word of twenty twenty, it seems, but it's appropriate. Yeah. Well, Luigi, thank you. I really appreciate your your wisdom, your taking the time to speaking of time because i know you're really busy um, it's always a pleasure so thank you very much well you too my friend um so if you don't mind i'm going to end the meeting or the uh recording but stay on with me for just a minute if you will sure, sure. um yeah again thank you uh luigi thank you everybody for watching and for listening uh this was very informative to me um um definitely caused me to wrap my mind around this in a little bit different more comprehensive way it helps to draw things in time in, and make sense of it all so i can actually take more responsibility and i really like how you address that too because responsibility is something we can all exercise so and we should all right thank you and thank you for listening <laughs> yeah thank you very much have a fantastic day everyone